My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Bray Castellini. I used to be a person who didn't live in Los Angeles. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end where we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or anyone who was ever involved in Burn Notice, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind unless you were the one fan whose job it is to give us criticism. You can send that to burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticepod. And as always, that are, those are both burnnoticed with a D because it's the name of our show and the name of their show. No, it's not really the name of their show. It's the name of our show. We originated this. It's ours. Our show Matt is burnnoticed or also our show? Dan, D- Daddy can't have burnnoticed. That's ours. We own Bird Notice. We own Bird Notice. So how, hey Bree, how are you enjoying Los Angeles? <laughs> I don't know because we're f- recording this before I move. But like I was looking at the schedule. Bree, uh, how will you and be can- enjoying Los Angeles? <laughs> well, canonically, I live. I have lived in Los Angeles for like two weeks now. Um, at, at the time that this episode airs. And I hope that I like it. I already have an apartment, so I, I already know where I'm moving. I'm moving, moving to Burbank, which is supposed to be very nice. And nice. I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm lo- I, I think I'm finally reaching the end. Like, I'm about a month out from the move right now, dear listeners. So you're listening to this a month and two weeks in advance or after the fact. I'm recording this a month and two weeks in advance. Whatever. And um, I'm like time? definitely time reaching. I'm reaching the end of enjoying living in Colorado and I'm finally at the phase of okay I I need to leave and nothing bad now? happened it's just like I am feeling antsy I'm feeling like I don't want to just have this box of a series of boxes of my crap in the garage that I can't move out like into the house like I I want my own space again I want my own decoration again I want you know I want a, a, a semblance of independence again because as much as i do enjoy being here i do feel very stuck you know like every day my mom has chores for us to do and we do them and even though i feel less infantilized than i used to when i would come home because like you know how sometimes you'll go home and you'll like revert to being a teenager Um, that has happened less as I have grown up and have gotten more responsible. So I'm just like less of a shit idiot, but, and also having my fiance here at the same time, who is a full adult man helps with not infantilizing myself, but it definitely does make me feel like I'm in stasis. Yeah. Cause like my function here is I work and then I cook dinner and I do chores. Cause my mom, like one of the arrangements that we've made, which was sort of unspoken, but works out is that like you're speaking Quinn and now. i don't <laughs> well it's quinn and i don't um we don't pay rent. And your mom listens we don't pay... to burn notice so she'll hear this yeah my mom my mom my mom, my mom likes the show burn notice but she does not give a shit about our podcast at all um but anyways what i'm saying is that like quinn and i don't pay rent we don't pay utilities but we sort of make we we earn our keep by cooking dinner basically every night and doing all the grocery shopping and stuff so like we're kind of live-in chefs who also do chores you know we're like housekeepers essentially you're like um you're like the furniture in beauty and the beast exactly and while that's been nice because it's been nice to have somebody else just like tell me what to do for a couple of months i'm ready to get back out there and like do my own chores and learn a new city and like who knows make progress except for you daddy yes daddy if you want to tell us what to do i'll do it um no i think that's good and you're moving to i was thinking as you were talking about it like you're moving to burbank which i feel like is a very grown-up place to live Oh, really? I, yeah. I don't know anything about it. I only have been there once because my brother lives apparently an eight minute walk away from me, which is also going to be interesting because my brother and I are not close. And for a long time, we really didn't get along. And anytime we were home, like there were so many fights. Like my mom even remarked because my brother was here until a couple of days ago. Like, this is the first time I think you've both been home and we've played a lot of games and there hasn't been a shouting match. <laughs> and I was like, well, I think the level of it is that like, we haven't seen each other in two years and we're both adults now. 
but you know, it, it'll be interesting for my brother and I to be like true neighbors and like live in the same place for the first time since yeah. we were kids. And I, I'm actually looking forward to it. I hope it goes good for you. I hope it is too. I'm I'm excited about LA. I don't want to move to LA. I don't want this. I don't like the weather, but nonetheless, I am excited to be there. I'm excited to be able to harass you in person again. I'm excited you to and see are, a lot of the friends that I haven't seen in a while. You, you and I are the two people who are like, LA is good except for the weather. <laughs> I know. Well, we're weirdos. What can exactly. we say? We're just so random. You know the the thing that yeah, the thing that everyone loves about LA, we hate that. Uh, enough about LA. Let's talk about burn notice. Let's so, talk about Miami. Let's talk about Miami. Yes. Um, so this episode, season five, episode fourteen, is called Breaking Point, and it aired on November tenth, twenty eleven. It was written by Ben Watkins and Rashad Rizani, and directed by Rennie Harlan of all people, who is like honestly one of the bigger names that we've had directing a burn notice. Um, he, of course, had a storied movie career in the 90s, directing the fourth Nightmare on Elm Street movie, Die Hard 2, Cliffhanger, The Long Kiss Goodnight, and Deep Blue Sea. Remember the movie where Samuel L. Jackson gets eaten by a shark? No, I don't know any of these except for Die Hard 2. And didn't we talk about Die Hard 2 recently on Burn Notice? It, we might have done. It's not a good movie. I don't remember why we were talking. Maybe it was, I think, didn't like an AD on Die Hard 2 direct something? Is that why it came Maybe. up? Maybe. I don't know. But I wonder if that's how they got connected to Rennie Harlan, if so. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what it was. It was, I think it's the episode um, that takes place at the airport. Yes. Where Madeline's been that's kidnapped. We and I think for some reason we were just talking about air- yeah. things that are said in airports. You know, exactly. like Die Hard 2. <laughs> Um, Anyways, please continue. Yeah, he, he, you also, he did these movies that I've never heard of. I don't know if any of these movies are any good. I never saw The Long Kiss Goodnight, which I feel is the one that people like the most. There's a lot of people who have a lot of love for Deep Blue Sea, even though it's like not a good movie. Uh, he's also talking about bad movies. He was also the director of the infamous pirate flop Cutthroat Island, the movie from the 90s that just sort of ended pirates for a while. I, I, I didn't like, know pirates were canceled. Yeah, they were for like a decade because Cutthroat Island lost so much money. But it wasn't until Disney made Pirates of the Caribbean that people were like, well, maybe pirates again. Um, but apparently they had a good relationship with him because he directs like three more episodes of Burn after this one. And I did like a lot of the direction in this episode. Like it wasn't like I was wondering if it was going to be more. Like, I, you know uh, what I noticed is there was a lot more close ups that I'm used to. See, that's to. interesting. Like, we had a I thought lot there was like a lot more. I thought there was less close-ups. I don't know. Maybe I was just like particularly paying think, attention to super But I think like he used a lot of different angles. The opening scene is shot in like a bunch of angles on the loft that we never see. Not like different parts of the loft, but just like different angles. So it's like it makes it feel slightly different. And I thought it felt a little more cinematic, actually. I'll admit I was not really paying attention. Mostly what I was paying attention to was uh, Ben Watkins' acting. Yes. Because Ben oh, Watkins which, is back. Ben Watkins is back. We'll get to that um, in the weeds. But first, let me very quickly explain the premise of this episode. According to Internet Movie Database, uh, which is, while Sam and Fee do surveillance to find Anson's secret hideout, Michael poses as a gun dealer to trap the gang leader who killed one of his childhood friends and get him arrested. All right, you want to go in the weeds? Yeah, we can go to the weeds. That's just like a wild phrasing for a synopsis. It really Terrible, is kind right? Of was it was it was it Vissers? Was it fucking CF Vissers or whatever the hell? You know, you can look that up. I refuse to. I refuse to like <laughs> okay. have the information no, in my KS brain. KS Vissers, that's their name. I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up. Hang on. Okay. Hang on. Hang on. All right. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it. Right, Breaking I'm gonna point, right? I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. Look at me. I'm vamping. I'm like shimmying my shoulders. No one can see it, but it's good. Do you need me to talk about Star Wars for 20 more minutes? Because <laughs> I can do it. I bet you could. Yeah, it's KGF Vissers. I oh, knew it. Great. I, I know a Vissers recap if I hear one. This is the weirdest thing about our podcast. This is? This is? Yeah, I actually think this is. That you have decided to like have opinions about someone who writes the like descriptions of episodes on imdb that is the most unhinged thing it's not big it's not like flashy 
but it is absurd. <laughs> this is not a professional person. This is not someone who anyone needs to know exists. But you know them. But I have know. Opinions. Yeah, and they write like they get confused halfway through every sentence and then decide to write a different sentence. Oh, yeah, let's, let's talk about the show. <laughs> I guess. I'd rather so go into a deep dive on psychology like, of KJF Vissers, but fine. Let's get into the weeds. You unbelievable bore. Michael is idly gazing at his new CIA badge when V shows up, and the show reminds us again of the plot. Michael's gotta hack the CIA, or else Anson will blackmail V, yada yada yada. And V does not want Michael to do this, and decides that they need to fight back. And so she tells Michael to call a meeting with Anson so she can put a tracker on his car. Really quickly, this happens twice in this episode that Michael calls a meeting with Anson to, like, get him out of the house. And the fact that Anson doesn't question it at all, because as far as I can tell, Michael never calls the meetings. He just, like, responds to Anson. Yeah. Is is, suspicious. Anson's supposed to be, like, several steps ahead. And the fact that Michael just keeps calling meetings to be like, I don't know about this, Anson. It feels bad. And Anson's like, no, it feels good. Go do it. And Michael's like, okay. Yeah. And they do this twice. And there's no, it's like, he's not bringing new information to him. He's not bringing like a potential setback that they need to like brainstorm out of. He's just like, hey, can we meet for lemonade? I mean, he's like, trying. actually, I, I had think nothing. There are, Bye. Like, setbacks. I think like in this scene. No, basically the first scene is just, hey, Anson, I don't want to do this. And like, I know. I do think yes, your, your concerns have like... been recorded on the record, Michael. We know. Yeah, I forget. He had some sort of excuse. It was like, whatever. I agree but it's with you. Flimsy. It does feel weird. I don't know if this is just Anson's hubris that he knows that Michael's doing something, but also that it won't matter. Because like this guy's downfall will be hubris. I don't know if that's I mean, that was Brennan's downfall too. Exactly. These smart guys. That's Brennan. how they. That's how you get them down. But yeah, they do do it twice, and it is a little weird that he never even said something about it. But yes, so Michael meets Anson while Sam and Fee watch, and Fee attempts to get Anson's car to bug it, but Anson is not buying Michael's bullshit, so Fee can't get there in time, and so she has to run and stealthily plant the tracker on the car while Anson is at a stoplight. And this is, like, pretty well dark, that sequence, and I, like... Just yeah, it was fun. It was it was an exciting moment where like what what could have just been an easy like all right, well at least we've got him bugged, which would normally happen. She actually has this whole like sequence where she's like, no, I'm not giving up. Like we this wasn't a wash. We are making this fucking happen. And yeah. like she basically kind of Sherlock's it. She's like, all right, if he's going that way, then I can cut him off here. And then she has to like you know deal with a bad situation. And like Sleep. I I thought it was cool. Yeah, no, it was I, cool. I, liked I liked the sequence. I like the way that Fee is driving this. Yeah, well, and I think that it's it's kind of a redemption arc for her, I think, in her mind. Because she's like, I feel awful about this, but I'm not going to let more people get hurt. Yeah. Because I fucked up. Exactly. I'm going to get this asshole. Like, I don't want to be the reason that more people get hurt because Michael's protecting me. This sucks. I'm getting us out of this. What's kind of interesting, and they haven't really done a lot with it yet. I don't know if they will. We're in like... Michael's burn notice was so personal to him, and then, like, Fee would be like, yeah, but this doesn't matter. But now it's very personal to her. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's interesting. And I don't know if they're going to do stuff with that, but it is interesting the way that, like, to see, like, Fee react, not irrationally, but, like, as motivated as Michael often was to do burn notice shit. Like, she now has a sure. motivation to take this guy down that, like, she doesn't often have for the bad guy, the big bad of the season. This time, it's personal. Anyway, back at the loft, tracking Anson hasn't yielded results. A very somber Madeline enters and tells Michael that his childhood best friend Andre has been shot and killed, and that his brother Ricky has asked Michael to come visit. At this point in the episode, I was like, have we mentioned Andre before? Does this character exist? But then we cut to the next scene where Madeline and Michael are comforting Ricky, and I remember that we have talked about this before because Ricky is in fact Ricky Watkins, the character that Ben Watkins plays, and he's played back in Bad Blood in season two. Yeah. Which is amazing. I genuinely love that Ben Watkins is acting in the show. I did you, and can I say, does a pretty good job. He has to do a lot of like really dramatic acting, like a lot of like crying and being upset and having like dramatic moments. I thought he did a great job. No, he did a great job. The thing is like, Ben Watkins is clearly an actor who also writes. Like, he's not, this isn't like uh, Barrios doing a cameo as a FBI guy. An FBI this is agent. Like, yeah, this is actual acting. 
like he's clearly someone who is like skilled like has training or at least skill in both things and like wants to flex both muscles yeah he's definitely Uh, acted uh, a couple of times because i looked it up after this i was like the fact that they brought him back a second time like the first time it's like oh that's cute one of your writing staffs in the, the episode the second time i was like this is a choice i wonder if he's like an actor and he doesn't do a ton of acting but he definitely has acted before and since yeah yeah it's definitely a thing that he does and he's like pretty good in the role i don't mind him at all but yes it turns out that uh, his brother Andre had been in jail, but he got out eight months previous, and Ricky talks at length about how Andre had turned his life around, and how fucked up it is that the cops don't care that he's dead, and then he pulls Michael aside and gives him a burner phone that he found in Andre's car with a bunch of calls from an unidentified phone number who uh, Ricky thinks might be the killer. And Michael agrees to trace the call, but also warns Ricky that he may not like what he finds. It's possible that Andre was back in the game. Talking about back in the game, this is an episode of television that is obsessed with street gang lingo. Yeah, it's a lot. This, because like, this is an episode that's like about gangs. It wants to be like, I can't bring up the wire on this show anymore, but it wants to be like, like, a like gang show. It is like doing like an inner city thing. Like that is the genre that we're playing in this week. Like it starts at the beginning, but it really ramps up as we go. Meanwhile, Fee and Sam are tailing Anson. They follow him to where he parked on the street, but they can't follow him on foot, but they don't want to lose him either. So Fee speeds up a parking garage while Sam panics in order to get high enough to see which building Anson lives at, which is also very fun. I'm loving this energy from Fee. Well, you did say a couple of weeks ago, you were like, Fee needs to be in fast cars more. Yeah. And hey. We're like doing it. We are absolutely doing it. Call her her Tracy Chapman because she's got a fast car. And also, it's the return of Sam panicking because someone else is driving recklessly, which is good. I enjoyed this a lot. Again, it could have been like... It could have just been a moment that just was there and they learned a thing. But no, like, Fee has to work for it. And it's really good. But they find the apartment that he lives in. Jesse tracks the phone number that was on Andre's burner phone. And he and Michael and Ricky find the house where the calls came from, which seems to be, like, a gang house, like a drug dealer's house. And Jesse has brought outfits for himself and Michael to wear to infiltrate the house. and But no outfit for Ricky. And Ricky... It's very upset about this because he is the client and so he wants to be involved because like his brother died but he gets told to stay put so and jesse knocks on the front door posing as a gas company worker but immediately gets shot at by someone in the house and there's a firefight but michael captures the person who is shooting and it turns out to be a woman named dolly who was a friend of andre a friend of andre's and also is a junkie which is like minorly important but also it- kind of not important it's I don't know. It seems unnecessary that she's a junkie is all I'm saying. She is a it seems like that she is a junkie because that is the genre. Cause it wants to do this like gang violence. Like it's this is supposed to be about like inner city things. So like there's like gang members and there's junkies and stuff like that. I feel like that's why she's a junkie more than anything. It's not unlike the things that Barrios does, but like a little bit less focused on like sort of the familiness of it. Although there's still obviously very strong family stuff too. Right. But also like Well, because again, Watkins is like an improved Barrios. He is. Which is frankly not saying a lot. No offense, Ben Watkins. I know you follow us on Twitter. What's up, my friend? Daddy. Yeah. Ben Watkins, you're a pretty good writer. You're a good actor too. You're pretty good at those things. We enjoy it when you do yeah. them. And he's like He's a pretty good actor. He's not a bad looking guy. Like acting is a thing that he, it was smart of him to pursue. Agreed. But yes, so there's, there's this woman, Dolly, who is a junkie and she is played by an actress named Indigo, who I know from playing Vanita on Weeds, which is another show that has about drugs in a problematic way. And also she was one of the potentials in the last season of Buffy. That's Um, where I know her. I was like, this lady looks so familiar. Where do I know her from? Yes. Okay. Yes. We're back on track. That's where she, That's where you know her from. Michael takes Dolly for a ride to a random parking lot, and she tells him the whole story, which is very involved. But the short version is that there's a gangster named Dion who killed Andre because Andre found out from Dolly that Dion killed the leader of his own gang, the Magic City Overlords. 
in order to steal money. Once, once again, way him. more complex than it needs to be. Way it's more like, complex. This guy saw this guy who saw this guy who exactly. knows this, and it's why are we doing this, guys? It's so much. He could have just been a witness. They could have just been like hanging out and then both witnessed a thing. And so he's already killed one of them and is looking for the other one. That's it. That's all we needed. But no, it had to be this fucking convoluted like telephone game. Exactly. Of murder. It's so weird and convoluted. Yeah. The fact that that's the short version is wild. Um, also, I do want to point out that it is true that Miami is the magic city. There's like a show about it that was called Magic City. It's about Miami. There's something about a gang being called Magic City Overlords, which is so silly to me. <laughs> I understand why they're called that, but it just like it it's just makes them silly. feel like they're a gang from like the Warriors or something. <laughs> There's something so like inherently flamboyant about Magic City. But yeah, Michael decides that the best thing to do is to finish what Andre started and take Dion down. So back at the loft, the plan is being set. They're going to lure Dion into the open with the stolen money in order to get him arrested by offering to sell him weapons. Jesse thinks that this plan is awful. Michael insists that he has to do it because he let his friend down. Michael's got all this guilt because his friend died. So Jesse agrees to help, but he also insists that he be the arms dealer, not Michael, because Michael's too close to this, which I enjoyed. So Ricky Yeah, for the first time, Michael is the one that's like kind of the client. And they're like, you stop it. No, yeah. get out of here. Yeah, no, you're way too close to this. So yeah, Ricky introduces Dion to Jesse. And again, Jesse is doing, we talked about this last week. Uh, Jesse's character is this really kind of flamboyant. What was the word you use? Bombastic. Bombastic, but like also like positive. Oh, bubbly, positive. Bubbly. Like, there's like a little bit, there's an effervescence to this character that he always brings to his aliases, which I really enjoy. Like, Well, he's having a good time. Michael Weston is like a quarter of the time having a good time. Jesse, always having a good time. Jesse fucking loves this shit. Like, Michael Weston always plays like badasses, like idiots or scumbags. Like, Jesse always plays hustlers. Yeah. And I enjoy that. But yes, Jesse is playing a hustler who offers to arm Dion with enough weapons to arm the U.S. military for the low, low price of $1 million. And when Dion is skeptical, Jesse questions whether or not Dion can handle the big time. And Dion asserts that he can, in fact, handle the big time. He's a big man, and he does want the weapons, but he wants to meet Jesse's supplier first. Meanwhile, in order to find out which apartment in the building is Anson's, Sam decides to enlist the help of some college students by posing as Charles Finley, environmental lawyer, who is attempting to sue Anson's apartment building for violating environmental regulations and needs volunteers to knock on doors and find out about energy consumption. And it reminds me of that one time when Chuck Finley had to go give a business presentation. Uh, Yeah, the Finley method or whatever. The Finley method. It's a lot like that. I like, this scene is really goofy and I like it. It's a little bit like making fun of college students in an old person way. Sure. But, like, I so much enjoy, like, when Chuck Finley gets to beat this kind of guy. But it's great. I agree. Also, I think this is a good plan. And I, I think it's funny. And I, I like yeah. that Charles Finley is back. No, yeah, I enjoy it a lot. <laughs> I like that not Chuck Finley is back, but Charles Finley. Well, because this is serious Chuck. This is serious. serious Chuck is Charles. <laughs> yeah. Like, when he needs a businessman get up, he's Charles. When he needs just, like, an everyman, you know, yeah. a guy that you'd get a beer with. He's Chuck. He's and Chuck. I, lo- I love if he's the, like, um, we stand a versatile sell you man. pizza and play arcade games, he's Chucky. <laughs> I don't know why that was the Chucky that I went with. There's lots of famous Chuckies, but I went with Chuck E. Cheese. Did you know that Chuck E. Cheese's name is Charles Entertainment Cheese? I did, in fact, know that. Did you know that he has like a really dark backstory? I think I've learned about the Chuck E. Cheese backstory, and it is very dark. It's like he was, <laughs> he was orphaned, and at the orphanage... His he he developed his favorite music, his favorite song. His favorite song is "Happy Birthday" because as an orphan, he didn't know when his birthday was, but it always seemed very happy. It like it always seemed like a good moment, and he always wished he had a birthday. So "Happy Birthday" became his favorite song as a result. That's so sad. <laughs> Why is it so tragic? I don't know. Why is he an orphan? Oh my god. 
It's oh boy. It's very funny. My brother told me that. I got a uh, whole earful about Charles about, Entertainment Cheese. It's inspiring the work that he does. <laughs> we and should it, all aspire to be more like Charles, Charles Entertainment Cheese. Charles exactly. Entertainment Finley. It's not too late for me to be Diane Entertainment Cherry. Back at the loft, Jesse asks Michael and Fee if Sam is ready to be the supplier. And Michael insists that he's going to be the supplier. If he can't be Jesse, he's still going to be involved. Because he doesn't want to put like Sam in danger with like this murderous gang member. And also he's like, it's fine. I don't have emotions anymore. I'm not going to have emotions about it. It's fine. Uh, but the big problem is they don't actually have any guns to show Dion. Because Michael kind of just volunteered Fee for guns. And she's like, well, I don't actually have that many guns. And like, also, the police want me. But she does Great know point. a guy who has many, many guns and knows where he keeps the guns. Um, so the plan is to sneak into this other guy's gun warehouse and sneak Dion in and pretend that it's theirs. Which I also like. I think this is also a clever little thing. Like, there's a lot of stuff that could have been easy, but there's, like... They've added tensions to them. Mm-hmm. We're like, it's a simple thing, but we've added attention. And that's smart. So uh, Jesse introduces Dion to Michael at the big illegal gun warehouse. And I thought, I went and looked this up because I thought maybe Michael was doing the same alias from the last Ricky Watkins episode. But he's not. But it is a very similar alias. Like he's doing a very similar voice and has a very similar aesthetic. Apparently he reuses a name from a previous episode. Interesting. He's it, Mr. But it's Turner not, but, in this. But it's, here's, yeah, well, here's the interesting thing, is that it's not the same alias from the original Ricky episode. Yeah, Michael yeah. reuses his cover ID, Turner, which he'd previously used in season four, episode two, Fast Friends. That's weird. Yeah, which we considered a great episode of television, apparently. Well, I don't so remember we, it we, at all. We liked OG Turner. Hang on, let me let me look that one up. But it is something else that I'm noticing in this season is that like continuity matters a lot more. Like we're revisiting a lot of um, bad guys. We're revisiting good guys. There's more continuity of like just things happening between episodes. Who did we kill off? Tim Matheson. Oh yeah. We killed off Tim Matheson. But yeah, like it, it feels like this is a season where it's like, we've finally established enough stuff that we can bring back people. We actually know, which is again, why it's so confusing that the guy from a couple episodes ago, who apparently goes on to repeat, like recur that like Sam had a relationship with previously that he kind of like kidnaps. Wasn't an actual person person we've met before. Yeah. Like you have so much deep burn notice lore at this point. What's happening. Either make him a new person or something else. Yeah, it's a weird choice. Um, oh, apparently, so apparently, season four, episode two, the was the first episode that Jesse was in. Uh, right. or was in like proper. A burned spy turns to Michael to help him protect him from an enemy who has found him and wants him dead, not knowing that Michael is the one who burned him. So yeah, so this is the episode where Michael pretends to help the bad guy after Jesse and like. He holds out like a a story about like his mom being dead or something to like feed Jesse information that he needs to say. Oh something, yeah, something, something. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, apparently it's that alias for some reason. For some reason, it's not like it's a particularly distinct alias. It's like, and that's the other thing too. Is like, why why would you remember that? It's also like even the. Like, Andre, before Ricky showed up, I had, I assumed that the show had just invented Andre in this episode. I know. Well, and then I was like, did we ever meet Andre? No, <laughs> but I don't think so. Not. I think the last time he was in jail, and then this time he had recently gotten out of jail, but yeah. is now dead. And it's like, if this guy's that important to you, I don't know. Maybe we could have met him at some point. Maybe. Especially since like, Ben Watkins is literally in like the this. writer's room. I definitely they have, have people like this who were my best friends when I was quite young, who I've not spoken to in a long time. Or like, I spoke, yeah, but nobody's writing a TV show about you in years. this. But like, I like, would yeah, be that's upset definitely true if they for me died. too. Well, there's upset, and then there's like good for television. I don't know. True. I'm just saying it like, cause there seems to be a lot of baggage there. Like it was Michael and Andre were like best friends, but one went in one direction and one went yeah. in the opposite. And I think that that's an interesting tension. And they're not cough, doing cough, anything. Far like more interesting than any of the Nate conflicts are yeah, because Nate is unclear. also similar to that. But it's unclear why Ricky is, why Ben is Ricky and not Andre. Also a great point. 
Like, why? Like, like Ben Watkins wrote both. Well, did he write the first one? He didn't write the first one. I don't think episode. so. I don't think he wrote the he first did not. one. I think somebody else wrote he it. He did this time. But, like, but yeah, it's unclear why Ben is, like, the less important relation. Anyway, they're introducing Dion to Michael at the Big Illegal Gun Warehouse. But there's a problem, however, when a goon in a truck shows up to check on the warehouse. So Fee and Sam are able to get him out of the truck, but they can't do it without causing attention to them. So to the truck itself. So Michael says that the truck was brought there by one of his men for demonstration purposes, and then has Dion blow up the truck with an anti-tank missile, which is very good. This never comes back to bite them in the ass, and that slightly annoys me. Exactly. Well, the other thing is, like, he's pointing out at a gun towards the street. If that guy's aim isn't good, he could fucking anti-tank missile, like, anyone right now. Right. It's wild that, like, I mean, I know they're kind of out in the middle of the warehouse district, but there's a lot of explosions going on right now. Mm -hmm. It's a big explosion. But yeah, presumably all these explosions are being cataloged by, like, that one cop who was cataloging (laughs) explosions. But yeah, anyway, Dion blew up a truck with an anti-tank missile, and so he's ready to buy, and that's fair. If I got to blow up a truck with an anti-tank missile, I would want to spend money too. Anyway, he's ready to buy in a week. He says he needs a week to get his like money together, which Ricky is confused by because he knows that Dion already has a million dollars. Um, so he shouldn't need time to get the money together. And Michael says that it's because he wants to kill Dolly before he spends the money because then there's no proof where it came from. So Michael says that he and Jesse are going to meet with Dion and try to force the deal to go down sooner. But he wants Ricky listening in with Fee because... Ricky knows Dion's crew and can let them know if anything seems off. So we get a scene where Michael and Jesse meet with Dion and tell him that they need the money now or they're going to sell to someone else. And Dion does not like that. He does, however, like hearing from one of his guys that Dolly has been spotted and he sends a guy to kill her. But he says it in, like, gang lingo. And so we have Ricky here to translate the gang lingo for the white audience. Yeah, that was a choice that they made. Yeah, that they but that's what this whole episode show. is. It's all about, like, these aesthetics. These, like, inner city aesthetics. And, like, plotting. Because, like, immediately after this scene, like, Fee and Ricky race to save Dolly, but they arrive too late because Dolly has already been shot because she went out looking for a fix because she's a junkie. And so she dies in Ricky's arms. It's like, yeah, this character needed to exist. Yeah, it un- so Just unnecessary. so you can have, like, a tragic junkie die in his arms. Right, because, like, basically her only function was she's the other witness, but then immediately they just kill her so there's no other witness. And, like, she barely factors in to the plot at all. And, yeah, very much does seem to exist solely to die tragically in Ricky's arms. And what's the point of that? What are to we let, trying to say to here? To let you know that... In the inner city, there are junkies, and it's sad. Anyway, Dolly's dying does turn out to be a huge problem because they needed Dolly plus the money to prove that Dion is a thief and a murderer because she was the only one who knew. Without Dolly's testimony, they can't take Dion to the cops, and the whole plan falls apart. What's more, Dion wants to is so excited about blowing up that truck that he wants to make Michael his permanent gun guy. And that's a problem because they don't actually have any guns. So Michael decides the best course of action is to tell Dion that the shipment has been delayed in order to buy time for Ricky to get out of town with some money and a new name. Maybe Ben? Ricky is not happy. They basically trade off delaying tactics towards their their own ends. Exactly. Like he they're basically they're saying there's we don't know what we're doing now. We're gonna figure it out, but we can't do it quickly. And Ricky, you need to get out of town. Because this this shit's gonna break bad and you need to not be here. So the next day, Fee arrives at Ricky's to drop off the new identity that Sam scrounged up for him, and Ricky tells her to tell Michael to not go to that meeting with Dion, and when he starts packing stuff up in his car, Fee sees bomb-making materials in the, tr- in the trunk, and she knows from bombs, so she knows what's going down. So outside of the big meeting with Dion, Michael, Jesse, and Fee are trying to get Ricky to give up where the bomb is. It's unclear where Sam is. Sam's just not involved in this one. Yeah, he's, well, I mean, he, he's handling his new internship program. Yes. But yeah, Ricky doesn't want to, like, give up the bomb because he feels like all these people deserve to die because they 
they're awful gang members who hurt people and kill junkies and cause junkies and it's all bad. Junkies all the way down. Yeah, but he does finally tell them where the bomb is because Michael guilts him into doing it. And then Michael decides that they're not going to defuse the bomb, but tweak it to their advantage. So Ricky takes Fee to the bomb, which is currently powerful enough to take out a city block. And it's also very amateurish. Like Fee is not like impressed with his work at all. Which um, I like. But- I like when and I like when Fee is disparaging of other people's like bomb making. Yes. When she gets This to is be, her like, the- thing. Yeah, that's her expertise. Don't make a shitty bomb in front of Fiona. She's going to, like, call you out. But yeah, so Fee rigs it to be just as noisy as it would have been, but a lot less deadly. Meanwhile, Dion gives a big speech to the Magic City overlords with Jesse and Michael, saying that they're going to run things in town. And I think, like, it's unclear if Dion is now in charge or if he's just making a play to be in charge. This episode is not actually... For all its convolutedness, that interested in the power dynamics of the Magic City overlords. No, not at all. Because we don't know anything. We know nothing about them. They are just gang members. But yes, so he is going to run things in this town with the weapons that he gets from Michael. But then Michael gets a text and tells Dion that he needs to talk to him in private. So Dion takes Michael outside while leaving Jesse with the gang members. And he basically says something like, tell them about the weapons. And Jesse's like, oh... All right, so, you know, you got your big boys, and they shoot big bullets. So so Dion takes Michael outside, and Michael tells Dion that the cops are sitting on his inventory, and he can't get to it. And so Dion gets pissed and pulls a gun on Michael, and Michael says, if you don't believe it, call this number, which goes to, like, the FBI or whatever the fuck, and pretend to be a concerned citizen. Pretend to be a concerned citizen. Ask them about this thing. So Dion just trusts this number, which is wild to me. Yeah, like, again, sure. all of this is so convoluted for no reason. For no reason. But yes, so like, but he dials this number, and then once he calls, the bomb goes off. Like, he, it sets off the bomb. And then Michael takes his gun. And then all the gang members walk out of the building, and they're all, like, covered with soot, like, wily Coyote. And Jesse acts pissed <laughs> and says that, Dion and Michael just tried to kill all of them and convinces the other gang members to believe that this is what happened because Dion made the phone call that triggered it and like someone saw it. And then Michael takes Dion into an alley and Ricky shows up and gets all pissed at him and pushes him up against a graffiti colored wall because that's what we're doing. A graffiti colored, like there's graffiti on the wall. And he pulls a gun on him and beats the shit out of him. And then Michael explains the deal. The gang just now thinks that he tried to kill them And the cops will think that, too, because he made the call that set off the bomb from his phone. So either he can try to run from the overlords, or he can turn himself in for Dion's murder and then flip on the overlords so he can get protection from them. Again, this is all so convoluted. Like, the stakes of this are so convoluted, while also not actually being all that about gang structure. Yeah, I... It's just another excuse to be like, this guy pulled himself out of the gang life, but it was too late, yeah. unfortunately. But we must clear his name, because in the end, justice prevailed, and good exactly. men, etc. It's, it's like, who cares? I don't know who Andre is. I have no emotional stakes in this. Yeah. This is about nothing. <laughs> and it's also just like, there's this weird thing where it wants to take the like the tragedy and the, the, the sadness of like like gangs and junkies and shit and like and just be like like, hey actually isn't this sad about hey do you think this is sad it's sad (laughs) without actually like being all that interested in how it actually works beyond like a glossary of terms nope but yes so basically dion can turn himself in or he can run and hope the overlords don't kill him so he turns himself in and michael and madeline go to ricky's and Michael tells Ricky that Dion did a full confession, and Ricky thanks Michael for stopping him from killing all of them, and Michael thanks Ricky for pushing to find out what happened with Andre, and for believing in Andre when Michael didn't, or whatever. And then they swap Andre stories, and Madeline gives them these roses from a rose bush that Andre had planted when they were kids. And well, no, no, no. It's I, it's it's more stupid than that. It's, it's so the much more stupid. The three of them stupid. were doing some bullshit, and then like they ruined her rose bush. But then yeah, what they oh. what what the, what Michael and Ricky didn't know is that the week later Andre came back and replanted a rose bush by himself. So exactly. really, these roses are from Andre. Exactly. Like it's so much more convoluted than it needs to be. 
And also, it's like they're trying to generate emotional, like, relationships out of nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, we don't know who DeAndre is. We don't care about any of this. I also, at this point, I'm not sure. Are they going to the funeral? Well, the funeral was on Thursday, and they are all dressed in black, so I'm assuming that they're on their way to the funeral. Michael's not wearing black. He is wearing blue. No, but he's wearing darker colors than his normal beige. Yeah. I I realized when she put the, like, roses in their things that they were going to the funeral. But also, what are you doing, Michael? You should be wearing black. It's a funeral, um, if that's what it is. Like, judging by this episode, it would not be a funeral, but it would in fact be something way more convoluted than a funeral. Anyway, after all this, Michael meets with Anson while Fee and Sam break into his apartment. Michael tells Anson that he needs an end date, and Anson tells him a story that he learned from Madeline of a time when something broke and how he tried to fix it as a kid, and then his dad got mad and beat his mom, and how it's cute that Michael is always trying to fix things, but he needs to grow up because you can't fix people, but that he and Michael were going to get through this together. And I did like this. What I liked, because the thing about Anson is that I hate this trope. Like, I do not like the trope of, like, a psychologist as someone with superpowers of, like... The person who's so smart, he knows how people think. He can predict your every move. But, like, that's not what they're doing with him here. They, they've decided for this episode that he doesn't know at all what's happening. But, like, specifically, the thing that, the thing that like, he really has on Michael is leverage and understanding of, like, his psychological weaknesses. And it's, like, it's a lot more vague, but it's, not, it's a lot more, like, it's less mechanical and more, like... He knows, like, it's not necessarily that he can predict Michael, although they do it some do sometimes do this thing where it's like he can predict people's actions, and that annoys me. But, like, it's more that he understands Michael enough to know what makes him tick and how to use that against him. So, like, he's not, like, a genius at predicting. He's just, like, knows Michael very, very well. And I like that. Like, I do kind of respect... When a show does a trope that I dislike in a way that makes me not dislike it. So, like, I did, I liked this scene. Yeah, it's fine. And, yeah, meanwhile, Sam and Fee look in his apartment and find nothing except for, like, a transmitter that he uses to send communications. But, like, there's nothing there. There's no evidence or anything. Which I think also, this is my thing, is I think, like, I'm pretty sure Anson probably knows, like, I would not be surprised if Anson knew that this was happening. But it was also just like, there's nothing there. Who gives a shit? There's nothing I there. was kind of hoping that they would get like, th- there would be like some kind of creepy like serial killer board of just like no, pictures of all yeah. of them and like a winky face emoji. That would have been nice. You know, like or make like Anson a, a serial killer. student's head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the other direction you could go. Certainly. Yeah. Those are the two options. Oh my God. Anyway, so all they know now is he has this transmitter. And then finally, Michael goes into CIA, and he does the thing. He plants he, the virus that wipes the thing. He plants, I guess, the Voidbot from last week. They never say Voidbot again. I'm really sad about that. Voidbot uh, was a yeah. good name. And that's how it ends, with him doing the thing. And now he's got to live with the fact that he did it. He did the thing. He sure did do the thing. Was there only one yogurt in this episode? There was one yogurt that I saw. Okay. Cool. And there was like a decent amount of good spy tips. I think like Rashad Razani episodes, because remember he also has a credit on this, tend to have like solid spy tips. So the first one, for spies, top secret clearance is just the beginning. SCI, the right to view sensitive compartmentalized information, is reserved for the most trusted people in the intelligence community. That kind of access comes with fewer constraints, limited oversight, and a frightening ability to do real harm. And like, this is information I didn't know. Yeah, I was going to say, did you choose this because you didn't know what SCI was? Yeah, I didn't know there's more than just classified or whatever. And like, that's there's a different tenor to it. Like, it's a little bit more of a get out of jail free card. Like, you like, it's almost as if there's like a, it's like a sick, like an intelligence agency, like platinum plan. We don't need to have this one, but I felt like I learned. I don't care. I have no, I have no opinion one way or the other. Let's keep it. Cool. Stoplights are one of the worst places to approach a target trained in counter-surveillance. Without having to worry about driving, their full attention is on their surroundings. They can use their mirrors to pick up pails and check the area for surveillance teams. But if you need to plan a tracker who's on the move, you have to go the extra mile. Yeah, I I think this is useful. I I think I wouldn't have really 
thought about stoplights being a bad place to plant it, but now I know why they are. And also I know one of the ways in which you can still manage to get through it. Exactly. And like, that's not in the tip, but we saw it happen. Right. It, It was in tandem with the tips. Yes. The advantage of having a GPS tracker on a vehicle is it allows you to stay close to your target without being seen. The disadvantage of following someone without visual contact is when they get out of their car, you've got to catch up in a hurry or risk losing them. Yeah, I think the given what we saw them do with this, I, I think yeah. that that's a useful piece of information. And the fact that they're like aware enough of their surroundings that they can make a tactical decision of where to go without technically having eyes on their target. Yeah. Is smart. Exactly. And like, I could, I could the, do something the, with that. And the fact that they have to do this quickly because like the longer it takes for them to get to this, they're losing their, they're quickly losing their tactical advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A tough reality of surveillance is that no matter how many hours you spend outside of a building, you can't see through walls. So if you want to learn which unit in an apartment complex your target is using without raising suspicion, you need to find someone else to go in for you. College campuses are a great place to find highly intelligent and enthusiastic workforce. The student body may not be up, get up before noon, but they'll be eager to give you their free time if you can come up with a worthy cause. I mean, that's basically the way that internships work. This is, this is capitalism. Yeah, it's essentially the spy tip is hire an intern. I mean, I think it is useful. This is also like, this has happened a couple of times, but this is filmmaking advice I give people, which is if you need crew, especially technical crew, talk to a nearby college campus. There's probably like a class who needs practical experience in like sound engineering, in editing, in PAing in general. So like if you can figure out a way to make it worth their time in their own pursuits, then you can get a fairly cheap but excited to learn workforce. No, totally. So yeah, I think this is, I mean, it's good. It's bad advice. Like, hey, college students, hey, gig economy workers, don't work for free. Definitely don't work without getting something in return, be it college credit or otherwise. You're not getting actual experience. Yeah. People who say, yeah, this will be good for you. In the scene, like, someone says that to Sam and he has to, like, say some bullshit to, like, make him look bad or whatever. It is, like, well, he's basically the scene. Yeah, there's, like, a kid who looks like a trust fund kid, which is a styling that doesn't make sense for the context of the scene, really, to me. But he's like, well, doesn't your company get, like, a third of whatever the payout is? So, like, why would we help you get a big payout? And then Sam's like, the Earth, Mother Earth matters, dude! And everyone claps or something, and then that's it. That's the end of it. Yeah, because, like, that guy is right. Yes, 100%. Like, he's like, they should be getting compensated for this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, Bernados yeah. is capitalist bootlickers, but this is a good tip. This is useful. Yeah, it's a good tip. And it's useful on many levels. Exploit young people, and you'll always be fine. No one ever got poor exploiting people. A bomb's effectiveness comes down to two factors. The amount of fuel mixture used and the location of the charge. If you want to create the sensation of a big blast without devastating effects, you need to reduce the explosives and place the charge in an open space instead of against a load-bearing wall. Do it right and your explosion will still have all the bark, even if you take out most of the bite. Yeah, useful. Smart bomb making, Fiona. That's five. Um, This next one is a bit iffy, but you know. Whether it's a stray hair arranged to detect someone's opened drawer or a cabinet booby-trapped with explosives, skilled operatives know how to secure their hiding places. So if you're searching a pro's home, you can't just toss the place like a cop with a warrant. If you don't find any measures taken to counter intruders, that tells you something too. Usually there's nothing worth finding. So this is nothing. It's basically like, hey, don't let them know that you're searching their house. No shit. But something that just just reminded but me also, of is... Like, but also part of it is that like, if a pro does not have booby traps, then like you don't need to search that much because... If there was stuff here, there would be booby traps. So either you're dead, you're caught, or there's nothing to find. Yeah. I don't know if that's enough, but really quickly, something that is striking to me is that, like, they follow his car around, they find a commonality, they follow him to his apartment building. Is that the only place he goes? I think it would have been interesting because, like, he presumably he's got stuff somewhere right like he has to have a laptop somewhere and if it's not at his house where else is he going i think it would have been interesting maybe for either 
them to think about that. Like it maybe is just not at his house, but is this other building he goes to sometimes, or that they find out that he like takes the bus anywhere else. And like the only way they'd be able to track him is if they tracked him personally. And that's really difficult to do. Like the, just the fact that they have a bug on his car and the only thing they've managed to find is his apartment building is fishy to me. Like that's it. That's all you found. He goes nowhere else. Yeah, it's a, I do think that that's, like, true. I think that the show is making a choice to not, like, focus on that too much because that's probably the next episode's thing. Or like, oh, let's see. I'm putting like I'm 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 paying attention now. This fucking bug better give them something else. Well, no. I mean, I don't think that the bug is going to like. Or not the bug, but the tracker. Or not the. They have a tracker on his car. The only place they found was his apartment building. He goes nowhere else. He he goes to other places. Yeah. Like what I'm saying is that like, if he doesn't go to other places, then like maybe he does go by bus or maybe he just doesn't do that. That's not how he works. The thing is like, we will learn what he does next week. But like, yes. Yeah. Because like, obviously he doesn't go anywhere else that like you could use. So that's clearly not how he works. What they'll find out will have something to do with the transmitter that's in there, but you know, because we've set that up. But we that remains to be seen. I feel like they're gonna forget about this as soon as next week. Oh no, there's like that's like clearly the thing that they found. They're like, that's their next step, is that well we know how he transmits information. Oh oh, oh that transmitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That transmitter. Yeah, the thing that the one thing that they do find in the apartment. Anyway, yeah, you're right. This tip's not worth it. But we got one more. Intelligence agency computers make use of the most sophisticated anti-hacking techniques in the planet, but any system can be compromised if it's compromised from inside. Hackers know that you can't put a drive into a computer port without it registering, so if you need to sneak software into a system without leaving a trace, you need to hide it in another accessory. Wiring a thumb drive to the inner workings of a mouse gives you access without raising red flags after you're gone. Sometimes betrayal is as easy as pushing a button. The hard part is being able to live with yourself after you've done it. This is too- that's like a separate thing, but like the person who put these tips together on the wiki put them together. Sure. But the important yeah, thing is that, putting the thumb drive. Yeah. Turducken your hacking thing so nobody notices. Yeah. Yeah, that's useful. I don't know how I would do that, but it makes sense. That tracks. Yeah. Like, that's the thing I wouldn't have thought of, but, like, makes sense. Like, I sure. might have thought that, like, plugging in a thumb drive will get like, registered somewhere, but I don't know if I would have thought of a way to fix that. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's to make the primary connection solution. a different accessory. Yeah, no, yeah. that's useful. No, I like that spy tip. Anyway, that's six. So we pass on spy tips. Was there spy craft over violence in s- solving this thing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, like, it wasn't the bomb. It was the, like, the ruse they, like, that the bomb. Well, yeah, the ruse, of the, the ruse of the bomb. They took over another guy's gun warehouse and had to pivot when they were almost about to be found out. Like, yeah. there was a lot of improvising. Yeah. So, yeah, we got that. We technically have a returning alias. I guess, I mean, he has a stupid, Hi, I'm Turner yeah. voice. Which, like, it's one of those voices that he does where it changes the way his face moves. And I'm like, anyone who doesn't think this is a fake voice is an idiot. Right? I know. Although they might be looking at him and go, Oh, you have a stupid face, don't you? <laughs> I guess that's true. If you don't have previous context for Michael Weston's face. You might be like, oh, man, that dude's got a stupid face. And that works it, <laughs> and that works to your advantage if you want people to think that you're a guy with a stupid face. Exactly. Um, so wait, do you think, is this anything? Do you think this alias? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think he's memorable. I actually forgot he had an alias until we started talking about this. And yeah. I watched this episode yesterday. <laughs> so I don't think it's very distinct. And also, like, again, I wasn't sure. This was a returning alias, but not even the one that I thought it was, which shows how non-distinct both those aliases are. Yeah. Anyway, finally, are at least two supporting characters used well? Uh, did Fee get to blow something up? Yeah. yeah I mean, did. yes. She does she, get to like, blow something up. She gets to blow it up less than, you know, yeah. it would have been otherwise. Like, she's actually half diffusing a bomb this time. But she's still blowing stuff up. She also... She doesn't get to blow up that truck, but she does a little bit facilitate that. And she does throw, like, a smoke bomb in it. But, yeah. But she she's blowing stuff up. She gets to do She undeniably shit. blows something up. Yes. Does um, 
Sam get to be Pete Bruce Campbell. I feel Chuck like Chuck Finley. He got to be he got to be Charles Finley. He got to like show up an annoying college student with like, like yeah, man, because capitalism is actually fine. Yeah, and let's see, was Jesse used well? Was well, or it's was not his Jesse was used well. Is he a distinct addition? Was he a distinct addition in this? What was he? I don't think he necessarily like he's just the the first phase of the 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 con because he thinks michael weston's too close to this which while a cool thing because that never happens to michael weston because michael weston's never close to anybody it doesn't affect him at all he's fine as soon as he comes into play michael is not too emotionally invested yeah and is totally fine it just occurred to me that like that never comes back it's like a big moment where he's like not allowed to do the first part of the con exactly but it, it doesn't, doesn't affect him at all. Like, yeah, like it seems weird. Like it seems like a, it makes it feel like a plot contrivance and not like a character choice. Which like is the only thing that you get out of doing an episode about his like childhood exactly. best friend. Yeah. It's weird how much this episode is not that much about Michael. Anyway, that said, I don't know. I think part of like, this is why I was arguing a little bit last week that like, Jesse does a distinct thing in his aliases. But, like, that doesn't change the fact that his position in the story is redundant. Like, they could have gotten, like, they could have had Ricky play this part. Like, who cares? Like, it's just an extra pair of hands. And yeah, I think Jesse like, needs to be, Jesse needs to be more than an extra pair of hands who, d- because of the fact that he's a different person, has a slightly different personality. That, like, that doesn't have to just be, like, a thing on a plot level. It can also just it be a thing of, like, is he a distinct addition to Burn Notice? Like, Burn Notice's bag of tricks. Like, not, like, just plotting, but, like, in the, the things that you enjoy about Burn Notice. Like, I now have a new thing that I enjoy about Burn Notice that I didn't enjoy before, which is, like, Kobe Bell doing these kinds of characters that feel distinct from the aliases that, like, Michael, that Michael the does. Other, that Michael does. And, I will like, allow it for this episode. From, like, Chuck Finley. But you're on thin ice. I don't know if I will allow this argument every time, but I think it's a fair argument to make right now. Yeah, I think, yeah, like, because, like, part of the point was that, like, we were worried that, like, Jesse would just feel like another Michael or just feel like, and there's definitely episodes where he just feels like someone who's there to, like, hold things or whatever. But, like, he's just got, like, he's got a specific vibe to the kind of, cons that he runs and like that's not something that anyone else does was madeline get to be part of the con the case or do a big emotional moment she's not in the case right i don't think she does anything now and like they try to give her a big emotional moment i don't know if it but it doesn't really land yeah it's a big emotional moment predicated on a character we've never met who is never brought up outside of the two episodes that Ben Watkins is in and is attached to nothing thematically or character wise. Like we learn nothing about Michael. We learn nothing about Madeline. We learn nothing about his background or his future. And we frankly learn nothing about Andre because who gives a shit who's Andre? Ironically enough, the the actor playing Dion is named Andre. But yeah, yeah, it's nothing. So like, this is not good Madeline bit, but that's fine because we definitely got it. From the other ones. Yeah. So this so is, that is a great episode yep. of Burn Net Us. Indeed it is. Is it a great episode of television? No. Not so much. No. Come on. I do think Ben Watkins does a valiant job as a dramatic actor in this episode. He does. I do think in, that, like, in a way that I feel is distinct from last time. I do want to say, though, it's weird that while there's the continuity of him being Michael friend, Michael's friend Andre's younger brother... There is no mention of the fact that, like, in the last episode he was in, he was working for, like, an abusive music executive played by Common. Right? Like, the actual original episode is not brought up at all. There's no, like, reference to, like, what is he doing now? Does he still work for that guy? Or does he still work for, like, the music company? Right. How is that going? Exactly. <laughs> it just, like, the look, first why is it this character? was about, like, rappers. And, like, it's weird that, like, the first one was about rappers, and then this one was about gangs. Yeah, it's unclear how they are meant to be connected, and v- super unclear why they felt the need to bring this character back if they weren't going to really reference the first episode he was in. Yeah, it does feel weird. 
Like when they brought back Maddie's boyfriend from Rough Seas, the like sailor guy, <laughs> the continuity is, remember how he and Madeline got really close that episode and yeah. that he has like a habit of getting in the shit uh, and like putting people in danger as a result? Like that continuity carried over. Even fucking- I mean, like, theoretically um, the, the continuity that's carrying over is Andre. But, they, but he wasn't even in the first episode. <laughs> Well, no, but, like, he existed as a concept in that episode. But Ricky, as a character, has, like, that might as well not have been that episode, you know? Right. Like, it might as well yeah, not have been Ricky. They're, like, they're doing a thing that, theoretically, the characters have attachments to, but we as an audience do not. And so, like, that's not going to work on us. Anyway, yeah, this is not a great episode of television at all. I do think there's, like, some solid... It's, like, weirdly convoluted, but also, like, there's... A solidness to the execution. I'm trying to refrain from like saying that all the things that work about this are Rashad Razani and all the things that don't work about it are Ben Watkins. But like, I wish it was not so weird and convoluted. And yeah, it's just not all that great. Yeah, it just, it was unnecessarily complicated in the way that like early burn notice was. Yeah. And it's like, guys, it's season five. I thought we were better than this. It does feel like an early burn notice. Well, with that, uh, there's nothing left to do but to say thanks once again to Vincent E.L. for our theme music. If you want to know more about Vincent's music, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until then, bye! Bye. <laughs> I had nothing. I just, like, my whole brain just went blank. 